Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. And this morning, the sermon is a prayer for growth, a prayer for growth. So what happens on many Easter Sunday uh, services and all around the United States, and for that matter, the world, it seems like people come out of the woodwork to attend church. People who are not normally here come, and uh, usually I have a few jokes to make them feel horrible about showing up twice a year, and we make them feel very welcome, just kidding, we try to, try to be as nice as we can. But anyway, they come, and, and last Sunday we had about 10 people through the three services we did respond to the gospel. We had about 900 people go through here last Sunday. Our typical Sunday services are you know, about 700. So we had about 200 extra people come. And the question that I always have, yeah, it's, it's good, and you can clap for it, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna balance what I'm saying with this. The question that I always have following those services is what now? What's gonna happen to them now are they gonna show up on a following Sunday to a church? Have they had a true encounter with the living God? Because we may have had 10 people respond and that may equal about three people per service and the angels rejoice over one, so don't get me wrong, I'm rejoicing for what God did. But there were also many more people who probably did not respond to an altar call and I'm not quite sure where they're at. We all have those questions about you know, where is so-and-so with the Lord? If they show up twice a year, do they have a true relationship with God? And we have all these questions that come up when Easter services come and go. And then we get back to normal church, right? So here you are on a normal Sunday, right? The Sunday following Resurrection Sunday morning. And I'm gonna talk to you about a prayer for growth. And this is a prayer that many of us maybe have been exposed to this is a prayer, if you haven't been exposed to it, you can pray for others. In fact, I'm gonna throw out a challenge to you this morning. I'm gonna call it a text challenge. And what I'm gonna ask you to do is be thinking about this week, one person per day this coming week, that you can text and say, I am praying Colossians 1, 9 through 14 over you. Just one person a day. And I think you're gonna see why this is so significant and this has many beautiful layers, but let's go ahead and pray one more time. Father, we have come here to hear from you, so I wanna just get out of your way, and I pray that you would speak, your Holy Spirit would speak to us, Lord, and your word is alive. Your word is living, it's active, it's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's compared by Jesus to a seed that goes into soil. And the, when it is productive is when it hits the right soil, Father, and I pray that we would be good soil this morning, that we have ears to hear what the Spirit would say, what you would say to us, our Lord and Savior, and that we would respond with a heart to do what you say, Father. So just lead us, guide us, um, just let our hearts be receptive to what you have to say. In Jesus' holy name I pray, amen. Now before we go into the text, I'll backtrack for a second. Paul was talking about the Colossian believers. He's addressing them, he's never met these believers. In verse five, he talked about uh, go back to verse four. He said, they had a sincere faith. We heard of your sincere faith since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. Faith and love are two of the most beautiful and foundational things that Christians possess. Faith in Jesus Christ and love for God and for one another. The love you have for all the saints. This is a great uh, commendation of this church because, Paul says, of the hope, notice these two words, laid up for you in heaven. I mentioned to you that that hope that Paul is talking about 
being laid up, <clears throat> has the idea, excuse me, <clears throat> of being on layaway. And it's a promise, it's a reservation that God has made for us. It's a hope reserved for us in heaven. Jesus said, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves what? Treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's Matthew 6, 19 through 21. This hope is on layaway, it's laid up. Jesus said in John 14, verse two, I go and prepare a place for you. There's a place on the ark for you. There's plenty of rooms. In my Father's house there are, how many? Many mansions. If it weren't so, I would have told you. If there wasn't a heaven, Jesus said, I would have told you. And it's, since it's impossible for God to lie, and Jesus is God, there is a heaven based upon the authority of Jesus Christ, and there's a place for you. In fact, there's a hope laid up for you in heaven. There's a spot for you. Aren't you glad? Now, I'm praying for a mansion and a yacht, personally. <laughs> I don't know if I'm gonna get either one, really, but, but I think what the key is to know is that heaven is about who is there. And who is there is our Savior. He's at the right hand of God the Father. He ever lives to intercede for us and the saints that have gone on before us, right? A great reunion day is coming, and this is the hope we have. This hope is laid up for you. It's not pie in the sky. It's not something phony. Jesus Christ said it was real. He said there was a heaven. He said he is preparing a place for us. Amen? Amen. So we stand on those promises, and that hope is laid up. It's a hope, a living hope, 1 Peter 1, 3, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's a hope which is imperishable. It's undefiled. It will not fade away. It's, in, it's reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith. Just write down 1 Peter 3, uh, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. That's what I just quoted. It's, it's not gonna fade. It's not gonna be stolen away. God has it protected and it's there for you and for me. Paul said, in the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. This is 2 Timothy 4, 8 which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only me, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. The crown in the future, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Now this is what I know. I have a hope, this hope is the anchor of my soul as I go through the storms of life. That hope anchors me. Now the Colossians were going through their own storm, and their own storm was a whole mixture of false teaching which I described to you two weeks ago. It was a mixture of Jewish mysticism and Greek Gnosticism and all these crazy ideas of these many intermediaries between the true God and man and they were worshiping angels and they were all into legalism and that kind of thing and it was just some, some people were on the extreme of what's called asceticism. They were beating themselves up, literally whipping themselves to stay in the right spot and others were saying, ah, oh, it doesn't matter what you do anyway. Uh, so they were just kind of just doing whatever they wanted with their body because they said only their spirit was good. I heard a pastor recently tell a, a story about Greek mythology. He said there was a, an idea of this island in Greek mythology. I think it's called the Song of the Sirens. And he said there was this, the, in Greek mythology, ships would go by this island and these, the, these, uh, 
I, I don't know if they were supposed to be like uh, angels or something like that, but the, there's these women on this island. They, they sing this beautiful, captivating song. And any ship that went by the island, when they heard the song, they were just drawn to the island. But as soon as they would move the ship towards the island, they would hit rocks that were around the island, and every ship would sink, and none of the ships would survive. So I don't know how anybody got word to this certain captain, but this is one of the faults of Greek mythology. But anyway, he heard about this island. Since nobody survived, I don't know how he heard about it. But anyway, he heard about this island. He was going to be the one that overcame. So he agreed with his shipmates. He said, look, I want you guys to tie me to the front of the ship. Tie me, like rope me off, so that when the song plays, uh, we won't be tempted to move the ship towards the island. And I want to hear the song. I want to know what the song is. So they tied him to the front of the ship, and the rest of the shipmates put wax in their ears. And when they went by this island, the song began to be sung, and the captain heard it, and he was totally drawn, and he wanted to go, but nobody could hear his pleas. And he said, please ignore my pleas to go over there. And they couldn't hear him anyway, because they had wax in, in their ears, and he heard the song. And, and they didn't go to the island. He was able to go back and tell others about the song. Well, there was another man that was able to hear the song and overcome it, and he was a famous musician. And when the ship went by the island, they were also drawn to the song but instead of uh, them just kind of being drawn into the rocks, he began to sing a more beautiful song. And in singing his more beautiful song, they were more captivated by his song than the song on the island, and the ship survived. And here's the point. The ascetics try to tie themselves up, and they say, uh, this is how I won't break God's law. I'll, I'll beat myself. I'll tie myself up in bondage. I hope that's not what you're doing as a Christian. I hope that you deny uh, temptation and you obey Jesus Christ because you have discovered a more beautiful song. Amen? Amen? A song that is much more rich than the stuff of the flesh. Look, I know it attracts us all. I know temptation is tempting by definition. There's many things in this world that captivate us, but we have, we have a more beautiful Savior. Amen? And what we do, we do because of what He's done for us. Now, when the word of God goes out, it bears fruit. This is verse six. We're backtracking for a second, but he says this word, this gospel, that this hope that's been laid up for you in the word of truth, end of verse five, the gospel, notice, uh, it's come to you just as in all the world, he's probably speaking here of the Roman world, also as it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God and truth. Now the, the word of God or the gospel is described as bearing fruit all over the place. It's, it's a fruit bearing thing. Now uh, it, it's interesting when so, some of you, when you grew up and you went to elementary school, did anybody you do those projects with the seed? You put the little you know, seed in the jar and you watch it grow. And it's a marvelous thing to see the, the majesty of a seed because a seed gets planted in the ground and you, know, you put it in the soil and you water it in sunlight and all of a sudden this beautiful plant comes. We overlook miracles that happen every day, guys. God made creation in Genesis 1, 11, and 12. He made plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them on the earth. And it was so, that's Genesis 1, 11. When God made the trees and the plants, he made them with seeds within them. That's why you get to still eat apples and oranges and things like that because they're seed-bearing plants. And so the seed goes into the ground, but we know one of the keys for the seed is that when it goes into the ground, it has to hit the right soil. The conditions have to be right. Now this is how this ties in with Easter Sunday. 
The word of God is described by Jesus in the parable of the sower of the soils as seed. The sower went out to what? Sow his seed. And he threw the seed out. And Jesus described four types of soils. And only one soil actually produced a crop. It was 30, 60, and 100 fold. And the key was it was good receptive soil. But other soils, it fell on rocky ground or it, it, it grew up for a little bit, but then it was choked off by the worries of life and persecution and so forth. Do you see the analogy? The, the word of God goes out, but what determines growth, the seed is good, but the soil has to be ready and prepared. And so what happens is, even in Jesus' parable, he says, in one of the cases when the seed is on the road, the birds came and what did they do? They snatched it away. And there's some people that they, they come in and they hear the gospel presentation, but their, their hearts are hard, and the seed just sits on top. It doesn't penetrate. And the birds come by. Here, Jesus describes this as Satan and snatches away what was heard in that person's life. And so this is what happens often when people hear the same message. One person responds and gets saved, and another person seems to be impenetrable. They, there's no difference in their life. And, and you say, well, what's going on there? Why is it that one person is producing fruit and seems to have had a total life change and another person, nothing's happened? They seem to be the same old person because they were not born again. And the seed in the parable of the sower is described as the word of God. Now listen to this. This is what makes this seed unique. The word of God is filled with the life of God. And when a person is actually receptive soil, the seed is the word of God filled with the life of God. And when it begins to grow, what comes out of that person is the life of God. Amen. It's Christ in us, what? The hope of glory. We'll see that later in the chapter. Here's the point. When you begin to grow, you're going to be, begin to manifest the qualities of Jesus Christ. Now, you won't be a little God. That's a heresy. But you will be like Jesus. That is, he's conforming us more into the image of Jesus Christ. And the Bible even says in 1 John 3, when he appears, we will be like him, for we will see him just as he is. So this is what the seed of the word of God does. And it came to the Colossian believers, and it was producing great fruit. If you go over to 1 Peter for a second, 1 Peter, just a little bit to your right. 1 Peter chapter 1, look at verse 22. This is what the word of God has done in your life if you're a Christian. 1 Peter 1, 22, Peter says these words. Since, 1 Peter 1, 22, you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. 1 Peter 1, 23. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, 1 Peter 1.24, all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord abides forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Therefore, chapter 2, verse 1, putting aside all malice and all guile and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. The word of God causes growth in your life, but the only way that you can get growth in your life is to get the seed into you. And there's only one way to get the seed into you, and that is to partake in it, to open your Bible, 
to let it go deep into you. And the more of the seeds that go in, the more growth that comes out. I will show you a man or a woman, Psalm chapter one, you don't have to turn there, go back to Colossians, who's like a tree planted by streams of water that bears fruit in its season. Whatever he does, she does prospers. It's the man or woman who meditates on the word of the Lord, how often? Day and night. I'll show you what he's like. The wicked are not so, they're like chaff. So this is the key. This is a prayer for growth, and this is what happens in people's lives. The word of God goes out, but the question is, are we receptive soil? And this is now what Paul is going to pray for the Colossian believers, a prayer for growth, that you may grow thereby. Little babies crack me up because when they're hungry, they let you know, right? They long for the pure milk. Either they have to call mama <laughs> or they get a baba. It's either mama or a baba. Baba is short for bottle. At least it was when my kids were small. <laughs> and when they wanted that bottle, oh, <laughs> and then they get the bottle. <laughs> Wouldn't it be awesome if we came into church like that? <laughs> no, nah, not crying and whining. Which I know some of us do do. <laughs> But longing for the pure milk of the word. Man, I gotta have some milk. Amen. Amen? Now we know the metaphors in the Bible kind of switch around and we know we gotta move from milk to meat. And I remember in our household, we had to have a formal ceremony when we retired the Baba. Because <laughs> the Baba is a comfort thing. Like you, go, you go to sleep with it. So one day, I can't remember which of the boys it was, I had to do a formal ceremony and I... Dad had to step in because the bottle, it, there was a lot of drama going on with the bottle and it was time to move on. And I said, do you see the baba? The baba's going bye-bye. Baba, bye-bye. <laughs> and we did a formal ceremony where I dropped it in the trash can outside. Gone. Did a salute. <laughs> we need to grow. <laughs> Verse 9, chapter 1. For this reason also. Now Paul mentioned that when you read scripture and you see something like that, you ask the question, for what reason? Well, because Paul had heard about this incredible faith in this church. He was informed, verse 8, about their love in the Spirit. This was a, a great church. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, heard of your faith, your love, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled, the Greek word is plerao, it's the same word used to be filled with the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 5. Since the day we heard about your faith, we, we have not ceased to pray that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will. Now, if you're taking, an, if you're taking notes, if you're a note taker, um, this is the prayer, and the first point of the prayer is to pray for somebody to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Now, how many of you struggle sometimes with knowing God's will? Every hand in this place should go up. Because sometimes it's difficult, especially in specific situations where we're wondering about a job or a move or what we should do in this case or that case. And we struggle sometimes with the will of God. And so Paul, the first plank of his prayer for the Colossian believers is, I'm praying that you would be filled with the knowledge of God's will, that you would be full of God's will, notice, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You could translate it this way, by means of all spiritual wisdom and insight. 
The prayer is to be filled with God's will, to know God's will. The vehicle is spiritual wisdom and insight. Now, how do you get spiritual wisdom and insight? Well, you get it primarily through the word of God, but the Holy Spirit can also nudge us and speak to us. But we already know that the Spirit is spoken through the word of God. So the first place we want to go is the word of God. We want to make sure that we're looking at what God has already said. If you're doing something that's against the Bible verse that's clear in its context, then you're wrong. So sometimes we're looking for loopholes and we try to find a book that gets us off the hook, if you know what I'm saying. Oh, well, this book says what I'm doing is all right. Well, let's see what the book says about what you're doing, right? Amen? This is where spiritual wisdom and insight come from. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 2. Now, Proverbs is a book on wisdom. So if you're ever looking for wisdom, you might want to go to the book of Proverbs. Go to chapter 2 for a second. Proverbs chapter 2. And here's what the Lord says through our author, Solomon. Proverbs 2, look at verse 1. He says, my son, if you will receive my sayings and treasure my commandments within you, Proverbs 2, 2. Make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. If you cry for discernment, Proverbs 2, 3, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, Proverbs 2, 5, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Now Paul says, I'm praying that you would be filled with wisdom, with knowledge and understanding. And when Paul wrote this, we didn't have the entire New Testament finished, but we had the Apostles' Doctrine, which was moving around the church. And some of the letters had been written at this point as well. He goes on to say, look at verse 8. Guarding the, uh, excuse me, verse 7, he stores up sound wisdom, Proverbs 2, 7, for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Guarding the paths of justice, he preserves the way of his godly ones. Then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity in every good course. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will guard you and understanding will watch over you to deliver you from the way of evil from the man who sp speaks perverse things. Now, Psalms is just before this. Go to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, look at verse 105. Psalm 119. Verse 105. It's a long psalm, so you have to turn a little bit ahead. And here's what the writer says. Of all the things that I could say to you in this uh, section about wisdom and the word of God, here's what he says. Uh, go back to 104. He says, Psalm 119, 104, From thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Thy word is what? It's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The primary source for wisdom for the Christian is the word of God. Everybody, just look up to my right, your left. That Bible verse, can we read it together? Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. See the word sanctify? That means to set apart, to make one holy. The way, the way you get sanctified, the way you become more like the Lord is by staying in the truth. And Jesus prayed this in John 17. He said, your word is truth. So the more that we get the word of God into us, go back to Colossians 1, the more we have the light of God directing our path, a path 
obviously, is a walk. It's a walk of wisdom, Colossians chapter 1. And this is what we need, and this is what Paul is praying for. Even though these people are saved, he's praying, Colossians 1, uh, verse 9, for wisdom and spiritual understanding. This is what we need to pray for our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. This is a biblical prayer. Sometimes we, we, we uh, say, I'm going to get more serious about prayer. And we say, okay, here I am on my knees. I want to pray for so-and-so and such-and-so. Now what? Oh, I remember, uh, now I lay me down to sleep. <laughs> no, that, that prayer won't work. Uh, the Lord's Prayer. That's a good prayer, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's a good model, a good pattern. But here is a pattern. And actually, uh, this is something that Charles Stanley some years ago uh, kind of made, put before us. And, and it's this, that this is a biblical prayer to pray for those who maybe are new to the faith, or someone who's been walking with the Lord for a long time, that they would know his will, that they would have knowledge of his will. Look at verse nine again in Colossians one. It says that they would have knowledge of his will. See the word knowledge there? It's a Greek word called epinosis. The, one of the things that were, was coming at the Colossian church was there was a group called the Gnostics. And their most famous word was gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S. Now, Gnosticism didn't become a full system until the next century, but there were early forms of it in this century. And here's what the Gnostics were saying. They were saying, there's some secret, special knowledge that you can only get through passwords and special you know, codes and that kind of thing. And that's how you access this stuff. And Paul says, look, I'm praying that you not only have Gnosis, but Epinosis. This is an, an intensified form of the word. It means that you can have spiritual understanding from God. There's not some special category out there for people who have to be, you know, into the club. You already have God's wisdom. It's right here. Do you know that uh, in the years of the uh, church, as time went by, the common man didn't have access to the Bible? Do you know people died? They actually spilled their blood that the common man could have the Bible. To put the Bible into English and other languages, people actually died at the stake for it. And we take it for granted. Sometimes our Bibles just collect dust. But people wanted to get the Bible into your hands and they actually gave their blood. They sacrificed their life that the word of God would get into our hands. And this is how we know the will of God. And so they were, they were, all these lies were being told to them. But Paul says, in Ephesians 1.17, he says, I'm praying that God would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in knowledge of him. I pray, Ephesians 1.18, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Paul's prayer is that they might fully grasp and live out the word of God. That's what we want. Your word's a lamp to my feet. It's a light to my path. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have what? Hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. This is how we get wisdom for living. It's through the living and abiding word of God. This is how we understand the will of the Lord. I told you that Ephesians, which is just a few pages before Colossians, go over there. Ephesians is kind of the twin letter to Colossians. Go to Ephesians 5, look at verse 15, and it says these words. 
Ephesians 5.15 says, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. Ephesians 5.16, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And don't get drunk with wine. That's dissipation. That's a waste. But be filled with the Spirit. Filled with knowledge, filled with the Spirit. I think they're the same. I think when you're filled with the Spirit, you're filled with knowledge. Would you not agree? He's called the teacher or the Spirit of truth in John 16. So when you're filled with the Spirit, you're going to walk in knowledge. The Holy Spirit is God. So when you're filled with the Spirit, you're going to be going in a direction that pleases God. You're not going to be doing something wacky or off kilter or whatever. You're, the Holy Spirit came to glorify Jesus, to align us with the Word of God and the will of God. So to be filled with the Spirit is really to be filled with the knowledge of God. But it's not just the knowledge of God. What we need is the power of God. Harry Ironside, uh, a pastor from some years back, he's written several commentaries, is a great example of a preacher full of God's Word. Under his mother's guidance, Harry began to memorize Scripture when he was three years old. By the age of 14, he had read through the Bible 14 times, once for each year of his life. During the rest of his life, he read the Bible through at least once a year. A pastor friend told me of a Bible conference in which Harry Ironside was there with two other preachers. During the conference, the speakers discussed their approaches to personal devotions. Each man shared what he had read from the Word that morning. When it was Ironside's turn, he hesitated and then said, I read the book of Isaiah this morning. Uh, the book of Isaiah happens to be 66 chapters. And it's not light reading. That tells us something about uh, the Word of God comes out of a life that sows to it. Amen? Whatever a man sows to, that he is going to what? Reap. It's just going to come out. Now, some of you are thinking, man, I have barely time to eat dinner some days. How do I do this? Well, instead of listening to other stuff, listen to the Bible in your car. You say you have an ear gate, you have an eye gate. There's different ways to get the word of God into you. And sometimes just listening to it is, is a great thing. You're, in, you're on the 91 for two hours, turn on sermons. You could have like a traveling seminary in your car. You know, in my early years, before I became a pastor, I was in sales. I was an outside salesperson for a company. And I got a lot of my Bible training just by listening to Christian radio all day long. I would listen to 10, 15 sermons a day. I couldn't get enough of it. And some of you are that way right now. You're just beginning to understand the Bible and the Word of God, and you're seeing connections and prophecy and the beauty of the wisdom of Almighty God, and you just can't get enough, and that's great. Just keep doing it, because God will bring you growth in your life. Now, the second part of Paul's prayer in verse 10, he says, so that you may walk... When you get the right wisdom, you get the right walk. You might want to write that down. When you get the right wisdom, you get the right walk. There is always a direct connection between what you take in and how you walk. Amen? It's basic, right? You are what you eat, the old commercial said, from your head down to your feet. How many of you remember that one? <laughs> Healthy eating campaign. Man, my... My little sayings from years gone by are hitting less and less of you. Most of you are, what is he, what is he talking about? Just never mind, strike it from the record. 
you will always walk out what you take in. You will. As a man thinks, so he is. And so, when we get the wisdom of God into our hearts and minds, we, we wonder, there's a whole segment of the Christian church today, you kind of wonder if they even understand the basics. You know, they do surveys today of Bible knowledge, and I'll tell you what, it's getting more and more sad as the years go by. People can't even name the four Gospels. You ask people who preached the Sermon on the Mount, and they're like, ah, uh, In Britain, they did a survey, and they started to name superheroes that they thought were in the Bible. Not joking, like Superman, that kind of thing. It's a sad commentary. For some people, the Bible just seems like a closed book. Have you noticed that for some people, they don't even want to touch it? <laughs> hey, let's open up. Why? You know, you get into this book, and it's just so rich and deep. But the devil wants to keep you from this book. This book... And it's been attributed to several different people that said this. This book will keep you from sin. And sin will keep you from this book. There's people who don't, they don't want to open it. They don't want to hear it because they know that there's going to be light rays that go into their life. But it's good, man. It's like a searchlight. And when it comes in, yeah, the word of God does some house cleaning. But it's good house cleaning, isn't it? <laughs> Sometimes it hurts a little, but... He says, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in how many? All respects. Here it is. Bearing fruit, the participle here is present and continuous, in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Notice how the right knowledge connects to the right life or the right walk. Just in the next chapter, look at uh, chapter 2, verse 6. Chapter 2, verse 6, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. And notice how it moves into verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. This is it. We want to walk out what we believe. And the only way we can get, strengthen our walk is to get into the word of God and have the dynamic power of Almighty God. Remember, this is a prayer that Paul is praying for them. He prays that they would be wise. He prays that they would walk in a manner worthy of their calling. The word worthy is axios in Greek, and it, and it means to balance the scales. When we look at people, what do we usually want to measure? We want to usually see if their talk measures up with their walk, right? And we say stuff like this, well, practice what you preach, preacher. <laughs> and and we're, we're, we're with that, right? We understand that. Because there should be an ever more leveling. At first, when you're a Christian, it's kind of like this on the scales. <laughs> right? But then, here's the image. This is actually what the Greek word means, a worthy walk. It means you start to balance the scales between who you are and how you live. It takes time. I celebrate grace every single day. Amen. Saved by grace, through faith. But I still want to walk out who I am. And I fail every day. 
but I want to balance the scales more and more so that they start tipping at least in the right direction. So I haven't been a Christian for 10 years and it's still, <laughs> right? We want to try to balance the scales. We want to get more weightiness, more substance. We should be saying stuff like this, Lord, I want to be a man or woman of honor. I don't care if the world's like this. I want to balance the scales. And you say, well, pastor, this all sounds so good, but how do you do it? Here's the next plank of the prayer, verse 11. Paul prays that they would be strengthened, look at verse 11, with all power. Don't you love that? Strengthened with all power according to whose might? His, God's glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyously. Now, strengthened is the word dunamao. It's the idea of giving ability to make someone capable. I can do... Praise God, you guys already know the verse. I can do all things through Christ. This is not I can do all things through me. This is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me in the context of Philippians 4, the famous verse that sometimes people wear on their eye black, Philippians 4.13, right? To win a football game or whatever. I know what they're saying and I don't even mind that. I put it on eye black when I play somebody in racquetball just to intimidate them. <laughs> yeah! I got the Lord! I, don't know. <laughs> I did years of coaching and... You know, we would have some, some great seasons and the coaches would say, yeah, but he's got God on his side. I said, well, you can too. <laughs> Strengthen with all might. God wants to give you strength with all power. It's according to his glorious might. And when we see a verse like verse 11, we're thinking, yeah, I can, I can leap tall buildings with a single bound. I can be a super Christian. Give me my cape right now. Give me my S on my chest. But actually, the power that Paul prays for here in verse 11 is for the attaining of steadfastness and patience. Oh, you say, Pastor Michael, wait a minute. I've been told never to pray for patience. Everybody with me? Because I've heard stories, and this is enough for me. And we've got some personal testimonies in the room. If you pray for patience, God's going to put you in situations where you need to exercise it. And I don't like that. Here, I want to give you a moment of relief right now. This is a prayer you're praying for others. Isn't that great? You should text somebody and say, hey, I prayed that you would have patience today. And they'll probably reply, no! Why? <laughs> Paul's prayer is hupomone is the first Greek word, steadfastness. It means cheerful endurance. It's the kind of steadfastness which enables a soldier to hold his place in the battlefield. And the second word is makrothrumia in Greek, and it means to be long-tempered. The first word, steadfastness, has to do with patience in difficult circumstances. The second word has to do with patience with people. Circumstances and people, Paul's praying for both. Sometimes when we think of Christian power, we think of power to go out and witness, and certainly God does do that. 
We think of power to maybe conquer a fear and overcome something or a spiritual gift, and that's all true. But in this prayer, the power that Paul prays for is actually to be persevering and patient. Have you prayed that? Do you pray that for others? Sometimes if there's chaos in your household, here's what I would recommend. If there's chaos in the next room, before you go out there to confront it, what's going on around here? Why can't we ever get these things together? That usually helps. <laughs> what's wrong with you people? <laughs> you might want to just stay in that room and pray. Oh, Lord, I'm not going out until you fix it. <laughs> Sound wimpy? I think it's wise, actually. This is a prayer for a conquering patience. This is a prayer that God would give us the steadfastness in difficult circumstances and with difficult people not to quit. And one of your big, biggest temptations in the Christian walk is going to be to quit. How many of you have written multiple resignation letters at your job, whether on paper or in your head? It's okay to be honest. I mean, there's lots of days, <laughs> right? We want to quit. I listened to a lady last night. She runs a, a Christian organization. She said she's written 100 resignation letters. <laughs> Never sent one yet. She's written a lot of them in her head written one on the computer. We've all probably done it. There's times when we want to quit and give up on everything. It's just too hard. Warren Wearsby said, it's always too soon to quit. Always. Because the Lord never gives up on us. And when you pray for somebody that they have persevering power, do you notice that sometimes it does something to you? When you start praying for others to hang in there, it starts to change your heart as well. He says, he adds the, the word, um, verse 11. He says, he adds the word, steadfastness, patience, joyously. Uh, you ever run into a Christian and you, hey, how are you doing today? Now look, I'm going to qualify this by saying we should be real and real enough to be able to share our struggles with people. But how are you doing today? Hanging in there, bro. <laughs> by a thread. You know, there. There's sometimes this grim uh, sadness in us. And look, life is hard. News reports are hard to take. The Christian life can be challenging, but Paul's writing this letter from prison. I mean, he could have whined about his circumstances, but he said, joyously. So one of the prayers that we pray for people is that they'll have more joy. Do you, have, do you know a joyless Christian? Are you a joyless Christian? Well, one of the fruits of the Spirit is joy. In fact, these uh, descriptors, these characteristics in verse 11 are all fruits of the Holy Spirit that we find in Galatians 5. This goes with the joy. Look at verse 12. And in some versions, joy is connected with verse 12. Others, it's in verse 11. It says, giving thanks. He's still praying. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. Sometimes when we look at our attitude, we ask the question, well, why should I have that attitude when my circumstances are so poor and difficult because God has qualified you. Look at verse 12. He's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. Once we walked in darkness, now we are what? Light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Don't walk around like schlep rock. 
How many of you remember Schleprock? All right, thank you so much. Thank you. Schleprock was an old character on the Flintstones. And he, wherever he walked, there was a cloud only over him. And it was like raining on him. And you come around, along with Schleprock and how you doing? Oh, yeah, national guard. And it would only be on him, right? You're in the light. Walk as children of light. Some years ago, we had the African Children's Choir with us, and uh, we got to host three boys in our home, and there, a lot of them come from ho- households where one of the parents have died or both to AIDS or starvation, and they go on this choir, and they sing all over the world, and we got to host them for a couple nights in our house, and the boys were so polite. They are about the ages of our boys. And so that we'd get in the car, and we'd drive them somewhere, and they'd start singing in the back seat. And they'd say, he is our light. He is your light. He is our light. <laughs> and I went in the car like this. <laughs> They're singing. And then, and my kids are in the car too. And then everywhere we went, they call everybody uncle or auntie. They'd say, thank you so much, Uncle Michael, for driving us. And may God bless you. And I'd look at my kids and I'd say, did you hear that? <laughs> I want immediate implementation. <laughs> he is your light. <laughs> Qualified. See verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has... Who qualified you? The Father through the Son. Qualified. How many of us say, I'm unqualified? You know who qualifies you? Jesus. You know why you can rejoice and give thanks right now? You're qualified. You have the righteousness of Christ in your account by faith. He's made you holy. He's qualified you. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Amen. It goes on to say, for he, verse 13, delivered us from the domain of darkness. The word domain there can speak of a kingdom. And when a a king would conquer another land, he would take them into his own domain. Luke 22, 53, Jesus said the domain of darkness. He mentioned the domain of darkness well, it was their hour on that night when he was betrayed. But Jesus reigns over the domain of light, and we've been transferred now from the domain of darkness. Look at t- verse 12. He delivered us. That speaks of rescue. That speaks of redemption. He delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. You are now a citizen of heaven. You're a citizen of light. You've been transferred. Amen. I got my transfer papers. I'm in the kingdom of God, signed in the blood of the Lamb. That's why I give thanks. I'm qualified. I've been made right. I've been forgiven. And in whom, in Jesus Christ, we have, look at verse 14. We have, it's the kingdom of his beloved son, verse 13. In in whom or in him we have, what's that word? Redemption. The forgiveness of sins. If you look at Ephesians 1, go back a few pages and we'll finish here. Shane, if you can hear my voice, come on up. Ephesians chapter 1, look at verse 7. Ephesians 1, 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him. 
God has given us this beautiful salvation. And this is the message of hope. And this is what we should be praying for people. We should be praying for wisdom and a worthy walk and strength and that they would know who they are and who's paid for their sins and they would be secure. And because of that knowledge, they would have joy. I'm gonna encourage you right now. Take out your phone. Take out your phone, it's okay. And text somebody that you're gonna pray Colossians 1, 9 through 14 over them today. You know what, don't even, don't even tell them what the verses are. Make them go look them up. You don't have to do it right now. But you can. But tell them. You, you have a lady at the woman's retreat right now? You'll blow her mind. Tell your wife, I pray, I'm praying Colossians 1, 9 through 14 over you today, I love you. Look, if we could do this for one Christian one day, Monday for one Christian, Tuesday for the next, what do you think that might do to your sphere of influence? What do you think that might do to your prayer life? What do you think that might do for your friends who are struggling as Christians? Maybe there's somebody on your heart right now, you haven't seen them around for a while, you're not even sure if they're walking with the Lord. In fact, some of you know some people who have quit. They're nowhere to be found. But you kind of have an idea that they're a Christian. Why don't you text them and say, I'm praying Colossians 1, 9 through 14 over you today. It's a good way to implement the word of God. Father, we are grateful for your love for us, your awesome uh, work of salvation and redemption through the cross of Jesus Christ. Thank you for this Colossian congregation facing a lot of difficult false teaching, and yet Paul prayed for them that they'd be wise and have a worthy walk and be a thankful people that they would hang in there. And I want to pray this prayer over this precious group right now, Lord, that these aspects of this prayer would be theirs. And in fact, this is what you want for us. This is really your, I think this is your desire for us, Lord. That we'd be wise, that we'd walk worthy, that we'd be patient with people and circumstances, that we'd be filled with joy, that we'd be people who are thankful, that we would know we're qualified, that we would know we're forgiven, that we would know that we're redeemed. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Oh God, thank you for this little powerful prayer may become a part of the fabric of our lives. And may we pray for others, and may we know that it's your heart for us. If you're here and you've not met this one who gives redemption through his blood, now would be the time to just say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Thank you that you died on the cross for me. If it's you and you're not sure you're a Christian, pray it right now. Thank you you died on the cross for my sin. You rose from the dead. Thank you that you love me so much. You shed your blood for me. I trust in you and you alone for my salvation. Please make me a new creation in Christ. Change me, qualify me, apply the work of Christ to my life. If you're a backslidden Christian and maybe your prayer life's been hurting and you've been away from the word of God and the Lord's been speaking to you about just where you need to be and getting back to basics. This is not you know, some extravagant thing that's unattainable this is just about getting back to basics, then just take a step towards balancing those scales. Get the weight of sin off of you and take on the substance of Almighty God's word and truth. He'll give you exactly what you need. And Father, for this beautiful group of saints, saints in the light, remind them that they're in the light, that you are our light. You're the light of the world. A man or a woman who follows you will not remain in darkness. They will have the light of life 
And I pray that that light will guide their paths this week in Jesus' holy name. Amen.